Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech Africa series. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors, incumbents, and ecosystem hub leaders from Africa. And this episode is hosted by Patrick. Welcome to the Africa series of the Voice of Fintech podcast. In this episode, we explore Africa's massive gig economy, which is estimated at over 60% of the total labor force, and how fintech is being used to drive value in the sector. We're joined this morning by one individual whom, after working on various cutting-edge fintech projects throughout the last decade, has now set set out to help Africa's hardworking freelancers achieve their financial goals. Our guest, Tatenda Furusa, co-founder of Imali Pay, a Nairobi-based startup providing all-in-one financial solutions to informal or self-employed workers. Welcome to the show, my friend. How's it going? Great. Thanks, Patrick, for having me. I'm doing very well. Thanks. Awesome. Such a privilege uh, to be on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, an honor to have you. Would you like to just start by telling me, I've always wanted to know how you ended up in the fintech space and uh, how you came to what you currently do as a co-founder of a fintech company in Africa. (laughs) All right. Yes, Patrick, it's been uh, quite a journey. And, you know, the word fintech has really been a big buzzword or a name attributed to this sector for possibly, you know, the last five or six years. But I I really kind of landed in technology when I I was in college in the U.S. And I I won two business plan competitions when I was in my junior and senior year. And the the apps that I built were an e-commerce platform and then one an e-sports loyalty app. Okay. Uh, for NCAA sports. So that's when I kind of got in love with technology. Despite my degree being in business, a lot of people think I'm a techie or an engineer or a developer, but I've just been working with engineers, building websites, apps for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But FinTech specifically began when I, I joined a company called Cellulent in Zimbabwe, where I'm from, okay. back in 2013. And even them themselves didn't know what fintech was. Right? Yeah. They were kind of aggregating or an aggregator that's connecting mobile network operators and banks yeah. to avail mobile banking solutions. Yeah. So, for example, dial star 208 hash and check your balance, pay bills, send money. Mm. And that was just really known as value-added services back then uh, in 2013. But, uh, of course, with the advent of time, by 2016, fintech was now becoming a household name in the tech space, and we started seeing major investments coming in uh, across the continent. Nice. So, yeah, that's really where, where I, I landed in fintech, inadvertently, of course. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. we all did. Given your experience in the space over the last decade or so, what would you say are the current trends in the gig economy in Africa? And what's the role of fintech in driving value in the sector? I know, for example, in Zimbabwe, where you're from, the informal sector accounts for 90%, about 90% of the pie. What's your take on this trend and what's going on across the continent? All right. Yeah, thanks. So, so Patrick, Africa is a, is a massive, it's a massive continent. It's also the youngest continent. I think average age is about 18 to 20 across most African countries, right? And growing up in Zim, as you, yes. So the, the gig economy in Africa is huge, right? Massive youth 
massive youth, youthful population, people 18 to 20 on average. And really for me, as I said, growing up in Zimbabwe, you're quite right. Over 90% of the economy is informal. Everyone runs small shops, sure. tuck shops, kiosks, or dukas as they're called, sure. because there's simply not enough jobs in the formal economy. Mm-hmm. And growing up, having seen that and seeing people make money sporadically, daily, weekly, you basically find that, look, not everybody will walk into an office, right, and sit on a desk or on a laptop or a computer. And when I moved to Kenya, when I was working for my former employer, Cellulant, you know, I the initial aspect I used to move around was cabs, right, but not your normal cabs. I would use Uber or Bolt or catch a bike or border border. And was just fascinated by the lifestyles and the way these people work. They work when they want to work. They're flexible hours. They work on multiple platforms. They work on demand, right? And then started meeting more people, young Kenyans who are web developers on Upworks, freelancer or transcribers. And they're all working from home, right? They don't need to have a formal job or they had their job, uh, lay them off for some reason or the other. So it just got me super excited and interested around what is the gig economy in Africa? How does that look and feel compared to the gig economy in Europe uh, or the US? And that's how we landed upon it, quite honestly, in the sense of they are such uh, vulnerable workers and their income is up and down. Mm-hmm. It's seasonal. How do we kind of buffer that challenges they have around accessing and managing finance? Interesting. Given what you've seen in the market, how would you say fintechs being used to smooth or mitigate some of the challenges facing gig workers in Africa? Right. I think fintech, you know, presents, and and as you know, uh, Patrick, it presents a unique opportunity to run financial services or banking without having to have an actual physical outlet, right? Or a brick and mortar. Fintech allows us to reach the customer at their pain point and their need, and we can do it anywhere, anyhow, Right. Today, we've deployed you know, a platform in Nigeria, and I've not even been to Nigeria yet in this time of studying uh, Imali Pay. Yeah. And we've been a business that's been running since July, right? And we're giving safe border or Okada riders savings, loans, and soon enough insurance, right? That is all powered via WhatsApp, right? Yeah. And the development of that product has been done out of the UK and Kenya, right? right? So technology has just brought us a, a very great way to kind of go last mile and give these consumers who I said are very unique and rare and growing very rapidly across the continent, mm-hmm. right? Because as Africa digitizes and becomes more technology savvy, they're looking for jobs and income. Right. So yeah, FinTech allows us to kind of be more agile, more customer centric. And as we know, half of the continent is underbanked or unbanked. Yeah. We in a sense can fill that gap. And that's where we are, we're trying to play to address these needs of this of this broadening economy or the digital economy, as they call it. So for our listeners, how would you articulate your vision as a business? Yeah. 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 And, and, and Patrick, it's, you know, we've been, I always tell my team, we've been kind of building the bus, yeah. you know, installing the tires of the bus as it moves along, <laughs> right? You know, doing the panel beating, right. putting the steering wheel. And actually this week is when I came up with the vision statement. You won't believe it. So, Really, our vision statement is, is one thing, to create a better way of accessing and managing finances mm. and improving the overall well-being of Africa's hardest and modern-day working population, right? And what does this mm. mean? It's broad, but it means that the gig economy is not just a buzzword of people who work online. It's also offline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Our belief is that the 7 million people who are in the gig economy or the online economy will be our customers, yeah. right, in the next couple of years. But for us to truly say we've made an impact, 
is to reach, of course, the expected figure of, you know, 14, 15 million people who will be about half of the gig economy by 2030. So they expect that the gig economy of 80 million people, we believe about half of those will be addressable to us, 40 million workers. Of those 40 million, roughly 18 to 20 million will be our customers. But that is much bigger, right? Every year, 10 million African youth are entering the workforce and not finding work. That's 110 million people mm-hmm. by 2030. Mm-hmm. Our continent will be very large, you know, in, in 10 years. We'll be over 1.52 billion. Who knows, yes. right? So we also believe the offline gig economy presents itself with a lot of opportunity for us as well, which is why we're saying providing a better way of accessing and managing finances, right, for Africa's hardest and modern-day working people. Yeah. Because truly... These gig workers work long hours, strenuous hours. Mm-hmm. Their income is volatile, mm-hmm. right? How can we take the insights and learnings and the customer feedback from the online economy and take it offline as well yeah. to provide services that make them financially healthier and better people right. um, in their right. day-to-day life? So that's, uh, that's where we want to be, yeah. big and bold goals. Yeah, that sounds quite ambitious and yet achievable, which is which is really cool. Uh, would you like to tell us more about your business model? How can you achieve all these good things and also smile all the way to the bank at the end of this? All right. Yeah, so look, Imali Pay fundamentally, it's, it's an embedded financial platform, mm-hmm. right? We partner with gig platforms or marketplaces mm-hmm. to layer on financial services that address their customers, okay. right? This ranges from savings products, investment products, loan products, insurance products, we're doing a lot, yeah. even financial health and education. But, you know, to truly win in the space, you have to do the, the extra mile or go the extra mile to ensure that your customers are coming out more financially healthier. Yeah. So so for us, our business model actually has about three to four ways to make money, right? We partner with the platforms and, of course, they are end users or their end customers who are the gig workers, for example, on a Bolt or Glovo or SafeBorder. Yeah. Today, are accessing in-kind loans or purpose loans, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, if they need a smartphone for their work, which is where they get the jobs of the kids, yeah. they they buy that phone from one of our retail network partners. Mm-hmm. And we typically have a few ways we make money from that phone. One, we have a slight markup mm-hmm. on the phone itself. So, we have what's called a marketplace income mm-hmm. where that phone may be $80, uh, maybe $70. We sell it at $80. We make $10 on it. Mm-hmm. And then we have a service fee that they pay to us over two to three months for the mm-hmm. phone. They can pay weekly or monthly or both, mm-hmm. right? And that, that service fee is roughly about 5% per so month. So this is something of an asset financing model of sorts? Correct. Spot on, Patrick. It's an asset, asset financing model okay. where we make a small margin and then also have a service fee. All right, all right. For, for our fuel product, and this example here in Nairobi, we have six six fuel stations, largely Ola Energy and Shell, mm-hmm. where boat drivers can go pour fuel and then pay us back later. So it's a BNPL model as mm-hmm. well. Um, and for every fuel transaction they do, there's a service fee as well layered on on top of that okay. for for that amount of fuel, whether it's a half tank or full tank. Right. And then we have subscriptions, uh, a subscription fee which is typically tied towards savings. So okay. when they withdraw their savings, there's a small withdrawal fee. Mm-hmm. When they deposit money with us, this has been happening in Nigeria mostly for now. And then for insurance, which we're yet to launch in any of our markets, they'll be doing a monthly subscription around personal and accident insurance, largely covered to health. Okay. 
as you know, bike riders live a very dangerous life as well. If they get into accident or anything, they need a bit of cover and a safety 100%. net to their well-being. Mm-hmm. So we have a subscription fee, service fee, and a marketplace income today. In the future, we might explore some payments opportunities. So those would be transaction fees as well. So about three revenue models today mm-hmm. where we see we're making money from the customer. All right. That's, it. That, that's smart. That's interesting. And it's nicely diversified. Yes, definitely. It, it kind of allows us to, to grow our pie a bit. And if even though the charges may be low, the sum total of those allow us to at least see our end goals, at least to see a unit economics about 3 to $6 per, per gig worker. Mm-hmm. But our model could eventually evolve into a subscription model where it's one flat fee, uh, not many different fees or charges. Make it really clear and transparent. As we know, gig workers typically are not high income earners. Sure. So we want to make sure that they're happy and comfortable to join a subscription plan mm-hmm. that works to their lifestyle. Let's address the COVID-19 pandemic. How exactly has it affected your business or your customers? Uh, what's Imali Pay doing to mitigate the adverse effects, if any? Yeah, Patrick, it's it's a good question. It's been a challenging year for everybody, you know, in terms of job restructuring. You know, a lot of lenders suffered from this where they had to write off debts or restructure debts. Yeah. It's been unprecedented in our history, right? Yeah. But for us as a business, I'll be quite honest and say it with all humility, we are we're thoroughly blessed in the fact that we birthed the idea in a time of of, of strife, mm. which means that our business model and our thinking is quite robust mm. and quite resilient, right? We launched in Nigeria July last year, and Nigeria has had lockdowns. It has had challenges as well, like any other country. But because the informal sector there is so large and needs to continue to make income and ends meet, mm. we were able to forge kind of our space in that position in that market at a time when things were very difficult. Yeah which in times I'm sure you've seen for many startups like Airbnb and many others that started in the 2008 recession are some of the world's largest companies. It allows your business to have a bit more robust roots and foundations than any others. And we're not overly hedged or burning cash yet. We actually have no overheads really when we started. So it allowed us to be very lean and very bootstrapped and very disciplined of which we are still bringing on that now, right? Even though things are still wobbly, it's allowed us as a business to be quite resilient. That being said, yes, we're in a space where, you know, a cab driver at a time when COVID struck or a bike rider could not be carrying people because we didn't know the protocols around ferrying people, right? Or if they're delivering a parcel to someone's house or office, you know, what sort of protection should they have, right? In terms of masks and, you know, hand sanitizers and all that. So it did cause a bit of acidity because our major partners are ride hailing mobility courier platforms. Yeah. But we're seeing that somewhat bounce back now. There's a lot more activity in the different cities we're in. And of course, yes, we maybe had to adjust some of our lending products to reduce the the amount we're lending and it's purpose loans, as I said, yeah. and allow kind of customers to earn their way, right? So if I'm lending even though you can you earn three hundred dollars a month, we won't give you up to hundred. You can start at ten dollars and work you up to twenty to thirty. So we've kind of had to put those mechanisms in place around our lending product. So can you walk me through your risk strategy for the short term to medium term? What's the play by play of how you guys are um, planning to lower your risk in these uncertain times? Okay. Yes, we've kind of had to readjust our product offering in terms of our lending product, right? Yeah. So the average gig worker would earn 
$300 a month. Um, And typically our rule of thumb around lending is we don't want to lend more than a third of their income, which is $100. We've said, okay, let let the gig worker borrow, start at $10, work up to 20, work up to 30. Because of the times we're in, business is not guaranteed. So even though historically, and because of our cash flow scoring model, we know you earn this amount per month. We've said, how do we kind of mitigate that? Let's not overexpose them to unnecessary debt. Let's lower their limits for borrowing, but more so where we can allow them to save with us and build up a track record. It creates a much more financially healthier life for them where they've got both savings and a credit product from us. So that is kind of, yes, affected how we offer products to our customers. Yes, they have been affected, but they still need to make an income and they still need financial services to keep their gig moving. So we've, we've, We've kind of navigated the pandemic in that sense. And so far, it's looking all right. How do you see all this playing out for you guys in the long term? Say, if another pandemic or a similar shock occurs in the long term, how do you see the customers or your business surviving or getting through this as a result of the strategies you're putting in place during the COVID-19 pandemic? Okay, so so Patrick, a very good question you, you asked there, right? The, the way we're looking at it, COVID-19 has really ravaged everybody's savings and safety net around their work, whether you're formally employed or informally employed, right? It's also made a lot of people go into bad debt in terms of, because they've not been working for a while, they've gone into very vicious cycles for credit and digital lenders. We want to become a fintech known for helping those in the informal economy or sector recover from the last one year or longer than that, right? How do we get them to do this? We just got to create solutions and products that are transparent and that are economically empowering to gig workers across the continent, right? And, you know, the buzzwords nowadays is financial health and empowerment. How can we get these gig workers the ability to borrow responsibly, save responsibly, learn how to use their money responsibly for their own economic good? So that's where we... That's where we want to play a big part and role. Of course, today we're embedded finance through partnerships with the platforms. But as we scale out, we want to look at intricate ways to build an app that drives this synopsis, this philosophy, this way of life. And we're already seeing this across more developed markets where people are more banked. And we think it's only a matter of time before Africa also comes to this play, if not sooner. Get people into the formal economy, right? Allow them to buy a bike, buy a car, put down a mortgage. Let them move from this part of the value chain or economic value chain to a much better off part of the value chain. So we play an important role as fintech entrepreneurs to drive this innovation and just listening to the customer and be more agile than existing institutions like banks and mobile money yeah. wallets. Yeah, I mean, which, which, which kind of segues into this question that I had about what are the general, general, generally, what are the opportunities? What's the market opportunity to the average uh, investor or fintech enthusiast out there who who has an interest but doesn't know how? Well, how would you capture that value or that business opportunity in the gig economy or gig economy businesses across the continent or other emerging markets using fintech? What? How would you capture that opportunity in terms of commercial value? Mm. So look, for, for someone looking to play in this gig economy, there's a few verticals, right? And the buzzword lately, again, has been the future mm-hmm. of work, right? Future of work is a few things. It's skills that we all need 
in the modern day and era, you know, data analytics, machine learning, AI, you know, being able to code basic, you know, languages to many different facets of where we need to go, right? Where the world will be more automated, more instant, more results driven, right? Then there's future of work platforms, right? Where we can put young individuals and similar to the program being done in Kenya called Ajira program, the youth development program, where the government of Kenya wants to put 1 million youth to have digital skills and make money online, right? We need to see more initiatives where public and private entities collaborate with governments, uh, NGOs, with fintechs to develop marketplaces where people can find work in those marketplaces, embed finance to make them sticky to their work, buffer them from, you know, economic shocks. And then for investors to look at, look, how can we help the future of work platforms that are out there today to build a sticky two-sided marketplace where buyer and seller can make incomes or for partners such as banks, MFIs, and regulators to support fintechs who are providing financial services to this segment of the population. And of course, big payments companies like Visa, MasterCard, or other ones that are in the space to also open up APIs and other areas where startups can sandbox, experiment, and leverage some of the hard work they have done over the last five or 10 years, right? So it's kind of a wholesome ecosystem where investors, partners, government, NGOs, initiatives can come together to work together. One person cannot do it alone. I think this would be a very concerted effort for many people. And of course, for investors, just to look for those startups that, you know, are solving a big problem at scale and continue to mentor, support and open doors for them as well. Yeah. So is this just for in layman's language, is this a billion dollar opportunity, million dollar opportunity? What kind of what sort of figure would attract? Is this a, you know, a hedge fund level opportunity or is it um <laughs> How would you capture it in a figure? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a billion-dollar opportunity for sure. And it has room for many players. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, if we're all working towards an exit from a bank or from another fintech or from a payments company, it is worth their time to look at this space. Uh, definitely a billion-dollar opportunity. As I said, there will be up to 80 million big workers alone, right? That's the online economy, let alone the offline by 2030. If one does the maths, then it's huge, it's burgeoning. And it's the only reason my co-founder and I will get out of bed every day to do it and tackle it as Africans who've worked on the continent and want to make you know, Africa proud and deliver valuable solutions. Interesting. Well, it definitely sounds exciting. Speaking of partnerships, what sorts of uh, investors or partnerships is your organization specifically, Malipe, looking to form with other actors in the ecosystem? I know you recently closed a relationship with players like Glovo, and you know, you've mentioned other big names in the sector. What sorts of partnerships or investments are you looking to to form with other actors, be you know, it's Africa today, it's somewhere else tomorrow, mm. into the future or the the longer term. Could you just shed more light on that? Yeah, thanks, Pat. And as I said, there's no better time to be in fintech, right? Uh, if one was building the rails ten years ago, there was no connection to banks, there was no connection to mobile money. Now everything seems readily available, and the ecosystem is slowly opening up. And I can attest to this, having worked at Cellulant, which has been around almost eighteen years one of the pioneers in laying down infrastructure for, for fintechs. So, I, you know, for us, you know, the, the key partners in our ecosystem are the gig platforms, right? They, they allow us to reach gig workers. So we have partnerships with Glovo, Bolt, and Safe Border, and another platform in South Africa called Jobvine. 
And we are continuing to engage small to medium to large gig platforms that some are domiciled in Africa, some are not, some are in Europe or Australia um, or the US. But today we have our hands full already with these platforms that are already gaining traction and users and customers on the continent. But other stakeholders who are key to us, you know, banks, where, of course, for regulation purposes, if you want to collect savings, and you know this quite well, you need to have licensing, you need to have wallets. Your, your lending as well is, is, is not infinite. You know, you need to also leverage a bank's loan book and share revenue, right? And for banks and institutions should be looking at this as a channel or medium to grow their customer base. We're, we're driving customer acquisition, savings uh, mobilization. You know, we're taking them to areas where previously they were not played, right? Yeah, and, and really for us, we, you know, we, we have closed our pre-seed round and one of our lead investors has invested in Chupa Cash, so we're looking for like-minded, hungry, aggressive investors now and in the future. We also have got a strong impact play. So one or two of our investors are impact investors like Finca Ventures, Optimizer Foundation, mm-hmm. Mercy Corp Ventures, where, you know, fundamentally what we're doing is to make the lives better of gig workers across the continent. So we like the balance of commercial type investor and also um, impact type investors. It allows us to build a healthy business in terms of, you know, we're not known as a payday lender or looking to exploit gig workers. We actually want them to have better lives and livelihoods. And I love speaking to my customers who have used our services and seen the smile on their faces to say, look, you've actually helped me get back to work much quicker or continue to allow me to get working capital quickly, much faster than my bank or my mobile money wallet. So that's really cool. So yeah, those are the, the, the main stakeholders and many more will grow. We also have a marketplace where we have petrol stations with our partners, sm- smartphone dealers, et cetera. We want all yeah. these guys to plug into our platform. We're not going to try cell phones ourselves from a shop or self fuel. You know, we, we believe that we're building an ecosystem where everyone should just plug in and we just grow the numbers together. So it's a gig economy and a shared economy uh, working <laughs> at the same time. Those are one of those rare <laughs> situations. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's that sounds that sounds hella hella interesting to be to to be to be straight with you. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and and on the talent side, what kind of um, teams are you trying to bring to this to this 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 vision, and and what kind of people are you trying to attract to your uh, within your ranks? Yeah, you know, Patrick, I was doing like a, a culture survey with my team today. We're a team of ten, five in Kenya, five in Nigeria at the moment. And look, we we look I, I saw some common trends around attributes that, you know, they are seeking from an employer and that they're seeking from their colleagues. And one of the key words was always learning and always growing, right? And it resonates a lot because we're looking for people who are willing to learn. As you said, quite fascinating that you're seeing the gig economy and the shared economy. What we're doing every day is bespoke, it's new. I wouldn't say it's been done per se, but it has been done. (laughs) I tell my team quite honestly that I don't have all the answers. If we don't come up with answers today and now, no one's going to give us those answers, right? So we're looking for people who are willing to stretch, learn, hungry. And I said, the cake is large. Let's work together. Let's build a successful business, a sustainable business as well. I'm looking for Pan-African talent, you know, multinational, multiracial, you know, young and old, you know, we, we want to have a very diverse team. The more ideas, the better off we are to build a, a very unique business. But, you know, as, as the business becomes bigger, look, we'll be looking for global talent. But we really think the free spot is African diaspora, 
that's working in Europe or US for some of the big techs that is looking to come home, right, and play a part in Africa's development or journey. We really think those would be the people who would want to see continue joining the business or those who have been working on the continent as well, like us, and creating a fusion of working together. I think that'll be really exciting to see as we go forward. That's really cool. Would it be fair to say that you're, you're encouraging people to have, well, well, as part of your people strategy as a Mali pay, you're encouraging them to have a stake in the intellectual property that you create together? Because that's, that's, that's another future of work debate that if we're building together, shouldn't we own together? And, 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 and you know, I'd like to hear your opinion or your perspective on that. Yes, yes, Patrick. We, we believe in the same ethos. We've actually allocated a good amount of shares already as we've closed our pre-seed round that will actually be given to you know, staff who we believe or employees or teams that are willing to build and you know be in the trenches with us from day one. So yes, it is something we have in place and is now more and more common. I think it's it's now kind of almost becoming a prerequisite when you work with institutional investors that there should be a pool that's created for staff, for teams to also feel part of the journey. And I think that's super exciting. It's long overdue. You know, I remember some time ago I was looking for other job opportunities and none of the companies were giving any stock options. I think long gone are those days. If you want talented people, they also want a stake. You're right. Yeah, and we are in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, everyone wants to be some form of entrepreneur, or entrepreneur these days. Yes, and, yes. And they want to know up front. So I, I know that's my experience as 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 a leader as well. So it, I think it's 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 nice to hear that coming from you. Well, given your experience as a professional and entrepreneur in fintech and in other related sectors. What gaps have you identified that the next Tatenda Furusa out there, an African, a young, ambitious African uh, with a drive to, to, to bring change, uh, positive change, what gaps have you identified that, that, that they can exploit? And, and what advice would you, what, what specific advice from your experience would you have for them? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't think I've got like a panacea or panacea of, you know, what is that silver bullet in terms of what's the next big thing? Yeah. But I think it's a combination of things, right? It's a combination of, you know, looking for problems, right? Where are you seeing problems? So when you hear people speak, are you thinking deeply around the problems they see or experience in their day-to-day lives? And when you see it, don't ignore it, you know, test it, you know, do a survey, right? If that survey gives you some positive feedback, you know, put a bit of money together, you know, f- find a bit of pennies anyway, $500,000, you know, 500 to $1,000, build a small MVP or prototype, put it in the hands of customers, see if that thing is solving a problem, right? And yeah. if it is, then look, reach out to Tatenda and say, look, Tatenda, can you help me meet some investors? You know, some angels who might be keen on this. I myself are not investing yet. I would love to one day as well, you know, and, and let's help each other grow and find, you know, problems that can be, solved at scale and at immense uh, opportunity. So it's really around that, right? It could be something that you find in agriculture, financial services, in education, in retail, in construction. It, it, you look at the breadth and depth of what you enjoy, what your passion is, and, and just go for it. See, see the problem. Don't ignore it. Act on it. And that's what I always say that would differentiate between the dreamers and the doers. Yeah. And for us, of course, we continue to see opportunities in the space. 
but it's still in line with the gig work, right? It's either an offline gig worker or an online gig worker and allowing them to get easy banking or financial services. So yeah, I think that's that's really what I would say generally. But yeah, happy to to bounce ideas with anyone who has something interesting and see how I can help them go forward. Well, there you have it. It's Tatenda, Tatenda Furusa, the man himself. See the problem, don't ignore the problem, and reach out to Tatenda. <laughs> opportunities. And uh, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's been such an honor to have you on our show. And uh, I look forward to, to learning more about uh, what's happening with Imali Pay and all the other players that you guys are working with to, to, to create things and, and, and scale things. So I know that we, you know, we can find out more about your company on imalipay.com. And perhaps you'd like to share some of your other socials so that those interested can reach out. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you, Patrick. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, on imalipay.com, I-M-A-L-I pay.com, or look us up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow our journey. Drop us a note also on our email, tatenda at imalipay or hello at imalipay.com. We'd love to engage, network, share our story, collaborate as well. So, yeah, we're quite accessible to find. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure, Tatenda. As always, I enjoy our conversations and uh, we look forward to having you on the on another episode of, of Voice of Fintech Africa. And please keep us in the loop and we hope we hope to see you again soon. Definitely. Thank you so much, Patrick. Catch up soon. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.